Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. And this podcast exists to help every couple thrive in marriage. We're glad that you've joined us. We're talking today, Karen, about I Changed My Mind. This is a series of messages talking about changing our thinking. Okay. And this program today is about our attitude, the importance of our attitude. Now, this is, uh, and this is the truth now, and I've been preaching for 40 years. If I could only bring three messages, this would be one of them. Uh, your attitude determines your success in life more than any other issue, any other issue. And so we're talking about attitudes in marriage. Your attitude dramatically affects whether you're going to succeed or fail. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. And I think we have some questions. Let me read one to you first. Um, this is from our listeners. My wife and I have been married for 16 years. And sometimes we don't feel like a married couple anymore, but just feel like we're roommates. How can we break this cycle and feeling? Well, I think every couple goes through this. I mean, you get in a rut, same thing, routine, working, coming home, eating, sleeping. And um, I, th I think for you and I, what helps is we get out of the routine. We get step out like, you know, we started going to the gun range or we go to movies. And, you know, like you always say, date night's so important. And, you know, you just find little things. I mean, little things mean a lot. You know, like sometimes I'll just say, hey, let's go sit on the back porch tonight. And, you know, just it, if you get out of those ruts, you know, it's a simple, simple fix. Yeah. You know, just be creative and just find new ways. Yeah. And you're talking, it's just how can we break this cycle and feeling? Because when you just keep the same cycle going, it's going to produce the same feeling. Mm -hmm. And so and the other thing is, Karen, that what we did for many years is, is uh, when I was super busy and when our kids were teenagers, Every six weeks to two months, we would just take a weekend away. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, we were broke, and we went about 30 miles away to cheap motels mm -hmm. and stayed. But but being together, but getting out of the, getting out of the cycle, mm -hmm. if you can afford, you know, to go to a nicer hotel, maybe, you know, 100 miles away or 300 miles away, drive, stay as nice a hotel as you can, get out of the cycle, get out of your routine. And like you said, Every day, just do something different. Do do something to to break to break that doldrum, uh, because it's very important. You fell in love by having fun with each other. When your whole subject's on attitude, and so, yeah. you know, just you know, change your attitude about it. Just say, hey, let's go to you know, be cheerful, be happy, be do something different, and and put a different spin on the attitude in the whole home. You know, yeah, and rather than making it look like work, yeah, make it fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. So you have a question. Uh, how do you build up your husband and encourage him when he is struggling with depression? Well, you know, depression uh, is a dangerous thing. And, you know, you can be discouraged, mm -hmm. but when you get depressed, that's dangerous. Yeah. And there, um, there is depression that sometimes people go into for a week or so. They lost their job or, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're going through a hard time. But there's also depression right before suicide. Mm -hmm. There's also depression that is, is a chemically based, you know, it's chemical. Uh, in some cases, it's spiritual. Um, the Bible says, Isaiah 61 says, God has given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that spirit literally is a demon spirit. And the answer there is praise. When depression comes on you, you praise your way out of it. Now, there are there are different reasons for different kinds of depressions. And so I'm try not trying to put everybody in the same place. I'm saying this is a very serious thing. And literally, uh, when you're 
trying to build your husband up when he's depressed, it's like throwing a rock into a bottomless pit. It, you, you can you can be as encouraging as you want to. It's not going it's not going to fill that void. He needs to get professional help, uh, at least professional Christian counseling, but maybe medical attention uh, to make sure that if it is a biochemical kind of depression, that something's being done to help because depression is a dangerous thing, and you just can't live there for a long time. And so, and I'm not for pushing pills on people to get them to falsely think that they're, you know, manipulated out of a circumstance. I'm forgetting to the root issue. Is the root issue loss? Is the root issue uh, discouragement, hopelessness, uh, guilt, uh, condemnation, whatever that root is? You've got to get to the root to be able to truly bring that person into a better place. Certainly, you can encourage them. Certainly, you can. Uh, do everything you can to get them into a better place. Ultimately, they're going to need to get help, and they're going to have to take responsibility for their own issues to deal with those issues. Okay. Well, we hope this is helpful to you. This this teaching, like I said, this is the one of the most important teachings I've ever brought in my life, and I hope it blesses you. The commandment, do not fear or fear not, is the number one commandment in the Bible. God did not create us to live in fear. It's the opposite of the way that he created us. God created us to live in peace. Uh, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was a place of peace. It was a paradise. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But the devil brings fear into our lives for different reasons that I'll talk about in just a minute. But Luke 22, this is talking about before Jesus died on the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what it says in Luke 22. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, and that's an important word there, agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose from prayer and had come to the disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who is called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. The word, we see that Jesus was in agony, and that word is the word agonia in the Greek, and it means great fear or distress. Jesus felt more fear in that moment than any human being has ever felt. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But it says, remember, Luke was a doctor. When you're lead, reading the gospel of Luke, you're reading the writings of a physician. And Luke describes something here very important. He said, Jesus was in agony and his sweat became like great drops of blood. It's called hematohydrosis. It is a medical condition that when a human being comes under a certain level of stress, our blood vessels rupture into our sweat glands and literally our sweat includes our blood. So when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he, he was in agony. He knew he was about to die. He knew what was happening to him and his blood vessels rupture and he begins to have sweat like great drops of blood that Luke records here, and we need to understand that Jesus experienced fear, but he defeated it. And because Jesus defeated it, we can also defeat it, and it, literally, he shows us how to do it. Let me, let me say one other thing before I get into the body of the message, and that is, there were many other times that Jesus could have feared, but he didn't. 
And, and the question really becomes, why did Jesus feel fear here when he really had never felt it before? And I want to answer that in several different ways. The first reason that Jesus felt fear was so he could identify with us as a human being. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. Our God has a human mother named Mary. We have to remember that Jesus was born a real human being. He was laid in an animal feeding trough. He grew up in a village named Nazareth. He had a dysfunctional family. Jesus, Jesus was a fellow human. And as a fellow human, he can identify with us. And here's what Hebrews 4 says about Jesus as our high priest. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with all of our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Well, see, it says that Jesus was tempted in all manner as we are, yet without sin. Well, what was Jesus' temptation in the Garden of Eden? To head south, to run. Satan puts fear on us so we won't do God's will. That's, that's why Satan put, every time you make a fear-based decision, it will never be in compliance to God's will. And I'll say this, I promise you, you'll regret every fear-based decision that you'll ever make in life. And Satan puts fear on us. See, it was God's will for Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus prays three times and says, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Not my will, your will be done. And the answer is God says, you're going to do this. And so Jesus was dealing with the temptation not to do it because of the fear that he was feeling. But thank God that we have a savior because he acted above his fears. And he'll have disciples if we act above ours. But fear is always present, always there in our lives to some degree to try to keep us from doing God's will. And understand, our concept of God is, is, is huge. You cannot get closer to God than your concept of him will allow. If you believe that God is a loving, sweet, generous daddy, when you have a problem, you will run toward that God. If you believe that God is a mean, austere, distant, troubled God, you will not run toward that God when you're in trouble. God's throne is a throne of grace. And our high priest who is on that throne understands every single thing we go through. When you need God the most, you deserve him the least. The reason we need him is we're a mess. And the only way to get fixed up is jump in his lap. But you're not gonna run toward him. In other words, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling weakness, if you're feeling insecurity, those kinds of things, and you fear, he, he, here's, here's what the devil wants you to believe. God's already kind of ticked at you. Just don't get too close to him or he'll swat you. He sees all the dumb stuff you do, and he just doesn't want you hanging around him too much. He'll take you in the family, but stay at the back of the line. The devil wants you to believe that God's always kind of mad at you, and he really doesn't like you. That's the concept of God the devil wants you to have. Your high priest is madly in love with you, and when you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm tempted, I'm feeling sexual temptation, I'm feeling financial temptation. I'm, I'm feeling tempted to do something bad and I'm feeling fearful. Jesus says this, I experienced that. I know exactly what you're feeling. Let me help you overcome it. It, it says that when, when we go to the throne of grace, we'll find mercy and grace in our time of need. Here's what mercy means. Mercy and grace are different. 
Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. We all deserve death and hell. We only get heaven because of the grace of God. Grace means you get what you don't deserve, all the riches of God freely. When you go to the throne of grace, if your concept of God is correct, let me say this, if, if you could see God how he really is, you would run toward him and you'd never feel fear again. He is madly in love with you. He understands not just your issues, but why you have those issues. And he wants you to come to him and let him mercifully and graciously help you. Jesus said, I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls in my presence. Our God is a fabulous God, and our God understands everything we've gone through, every fear, every temptation. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus felt fear here is so he could identify with us. The second reason that Jesus felt fear was he had the full knowledge of everything he was about to go through. Remember, he was also fully God. He knew everything. See, a lot of us feel fear because of what we do not know. It's the fear of the unknown. What's gonna happen tomorrow? What's gonna happen financially? What's gonna happen to the stock market? What's gonna happen to my job? What's gonna happen to my health or my children? We don't know. Jesus knew every single thing they were about to do to him. Jesus Christ died the most grisly death that any human being has ever died. And he knew every single detail about what was about to happen to him. So much so that he was sweating drops like blood and he went to the Father, Jesus raised a dead man with two words, Lazarus, arise. Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't have to pray twice about anything. And all of a sudden, he is going before God three times, begging him and saying, Father, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way, take me out of this. I don't want to drink this cup, if there's any way, but not my will your will be done. I want to say something now because this is a very important point here. There are people today teaching universalism. Universalism teaches that all religions lead to the same path. Basically, all lifestyles have the same result. In other words, everybody gets to heaven. There is no right religion. There is no wrong religion. In other words, if you really believe that, then Adolf Hitler is sitting with Abraham in heaven right now. Another reason that Jesus was so fearful was that he was under full-scale assault by Satan, the spirit of fear. Fear isn't something, it's someone. It says in Luke 4, 13, you need, to, you need to understand this related to the nature of the devil. Remember when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and at the end of that fast, Satan attacked him? And here's what it says at the end of that attack in the wilderness, Luke 4, 13. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Here's what you need to understand about the nature of the devil. He's an opportunist. When you're the weakest, he's the most evil. You know, when you're a gentleman or a gentlewoman, you're a, you're a kind, gracious person. When someone's hurting, you let up. He's the opposite. When you're hurting, he presses in. And at the end, remember, at the end of 40 days of fasting, when Jesus was weak, that's when he pounced on him. And now in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan understands that Jesus is weak, that he's troubled. That this, is, that this is an opportune time, and so Satan comes with his spirit of fear and attacks Jesus. This is what 2 Timothy 1.7 says to us about fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The devil doesn't control our thoughts, but he influences our thoughts. He, he wants to whisper thoughts of fear to us so we'll accept them 
and he can control our lives. God, God will never use fear to control your lives. And when you read in the Bible, it says the fear of the Lord, that means a, a reverence of God. That does not mean a negative emotion. It means a positive emotion, a reverence for God. God will never, never bring fear into your life to cause you to do anything. But the devil uses fear to control us. This is Hebrews chapter two. It says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now see, all fears ultimately are the fear of death. You, you say, well, I have a fear of bugs. No, you don't. You have a fear of getting bitten and dying of a bug, a critter. Okay, you say, well, I have the fear of snakes. You do not have the fear of snakes. You have the fear of dying by snake bite. You, have a fear, you say, I have a fear of heights. You do not have a fear of heights. You have a fear of splattering. Okay. So if you think through all your fears, they ultimately come to the fear of death. But let me, let me say something to you about this. You'll never die. That, that's the lie of the fear of death. It says that Satan holds people in bondage because of the fear of death. You'll never die. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you understand that you will never in all of eternity experience a moment of death? You'll never be in a casket in the ground. You never will be. Your body will be. And one day your body will be reunited with your spirit. But do you understand the instant that your eyes close on earth, they open in heaven? Jesus turned to the thief on the cross next to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that what he said? The minute that you go numb here, your senses come alive there. The instant you take your last breath here, you take your first breath there. Somebody say amen. amen. You'll never die. You'll never die. So when the devil comes and tries to put the fear of death on you or some fear on you, see, fear is a prophet spirit from hell to give us a negative view of the future to cause us to make a fear-based decision that God will not honor. Faith is from the Spirit of God to give us a positive view of the future so we'll make a faith-based decision that God will honor. Amen. Satan's always dogging you through fear. He's always showing you a movie of the future, of your husband, of your wife, of your children, of your health, of your finances, to get you upset so you will find a reason not to do what God is saying. But faith gives you courage. Thank God that we have a Savior because he acted above his fear. You need to change your mind about fear. When fear shows up, it doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the devil's trying to influence you to get you to do the wrong thing so that you won't follow God, that you won't be the person that God wants you to be. That's the why he comes. Jesus rules by peace because he's full of it. The devil rules by fear because he's full of it. That's the way he influences us in our lives. And here's how to overcome fear. Like Jesus, the number one thing to do is to admit your fear without shame. Don't be ashamed of it. We all feel it. Though we sometimes want to act like we don't, we do. God is a God of light, and the devil is a devil of darkness. See, when the devil is working, he always puts shame and fear on something so we won't admit it. We don't want to talk about it but it won't be well until you bring it into the light. And here's, here's what Jesus said. Daddy, I'm afraid. The son of God went before his father and said, Abba, father, daddy, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid. The truth literally will make you free. 
And the, the end of fear is when we expose it as an entity, not as something that is natural within us, but something that is supernatural and from the devil. This is a spirit of fear. Daddy, I'm afraid, and I know that this doesn't come from you because the Bible says that you would not give me a spirit of fear. The second thing that you do to overcome fear is that you submit your fears to God. You have to submit it to God. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. You go to God and you say, you say Lord, I, I feel fear right now. I want you to listen to me. Is that Mark, I love what Mark Twain said. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, it's the mastery of it. People who've died for our nation, they felt fear but they acted above their fears. To be a mature Christian, you have to act above your emotions. And there'll be many, many times in life when you're feeling anger and you have to act above it. You feel the desire for revenge. You feel a, a temptation for sexual immorality. You feel fear. And because of that fear, you don't want to do what God is saying. And to become a man and woman of God, you have to act above that. And here's what it means. You go to God and say, I'm feeling an emotion and it's real, but it doesn't mean it's right. And Jesus went to God the Father and said, Father, I'm afraid, but I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. Now listen, good doctors don't operate on their children for a reason. And that's because emotion makes you less capable of making a good decision, right? The worst time to be making a decision is when you're feeling fear. That's when you need outside counsel. That's when you need somebody else telling you what to do, and the best person is God telling you what to do. The perspective that we have is so isolated. We, I have a perspective of right here, right now, in, in my past experiences, but I can't see everything else. God can see the entire world, everyone in it, and all of eternity. And I think he has the best perspective to help us make a good decision. And for that to happen, we have to separate how we feel from what's right and wrong. My emotions may be very real, but that does not mean that they're right. And it does not mean acting upon them will bring a good response. My greatest regret in life is every decision I made by fear. I'm so thankful though for the times I made a right decision in spite of fear. Ben Hogan, one of the most famous golfers of all times was from Fort Worth. And um, I believe this was Johnny Miller had an interview with Ben Hogan. And Ben Hogan was called the wee iceman by the uh, Scottish because he was so calm on the golf course. And uh, he was just this wonderful golfer, but he was so calm. And Johnny Miller asked him, he said, well, how do you stay so calm on the golf course? He said, I'm not calm, I'm terrified. He said, I'm constantly terrified on the golf course. Uh, Byron Nelson, also here from this area, um, they asked him about how he stayed calm on the golf course. He said, I'm not calm. He said, the reason I gave up golf is because I got tired of uh, getting sick every time the golf tournament came up. He said, I was constantly feeling fear. Great people feel fear, but great people act above it. To become the person that God wants you to be, you have to act, act above your fears. Now, let me say one more thing. I'm gonna keep going here. When God took the children of Israel to the promised land, there were giants there. In fact, let me just start this next point. It's focus on God's presence and love is the third way that you deal with fear. The children of Israel came to the promised land. There were giants there, nine foot tall people. 
And the spies went into the land and they came out and 10 of the spies said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. These people are huge. They will destroy us if we go in there. But Joshua and Caleb came out and said, their protection has been lifted from them and they'll be our prey. Let's go in and take the land. Let me say this. The devil will always put a giant where God gives you the promise. And that giant's gonna try to terrify you and keep you out of God's promised land. But once God gave you that land, that giant was pronounced dead right then. All you have to do is fight it. They could have shot a pea shooter at those giants and they would have died. Because God had lifted their protection from them. Let me say this, what a blessing to move in after giants. Big houses, big beds, big closets, big barns. You know, what a blessing. And so it's just the way you see things. And 10 spies came out and terrified the nation of Israel with a bad report. And two spies came out and said, we see a big God and a little devil. Let's go in and take our land. How big is your God? How big is your devil? Understand the devil is not omnipresent, but our God is. The universe cannot contain our God. But the devil is a creature. He is not omnipresent. How big is your God? And here's what... David says in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's not the valley of the shadow of a hangnail. That's not the valley of the shadow of a headache. That's the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, I don't fear because you're with me. Here's the confession of Jesus on his way to the cross. When the devil was trying to terrify Jesus, this is his confession in Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in show, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. On the way to the cross, the devil was telling Jesus, you have disappointed your father, you're a huge failure, you're gonna rot in hell, and God will not come get you. And Jesus said, he will not allow his holy one to see corruption. He's not gonna leave me in show. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. You will show me the path of life. And he is confessing against the devil, I have set the Lord always before me. Let me say this, the Lord's always before you. You might as well set set your attention on him. Listen, fear is reality minus God. Faith is reality plus God. If your eyes could be open right now to see the supernatural realm, you would never fear again. When I first started preaching about half a dozen times, little kids would sit out listening to me preach and they'd draw pictures of me. And after the service, the mothers would come up and give me the pictures. They were not flattering. I had to forgive those kids. And I remember all their names to this day. Anyway, but this is what happened about half a dozen times, which was so interesting. Different children at different times drew me preaching with two huge angels next to me. And the mothers, the first mother came and handed me that picture. I said, well, that, that's, that's sweet. And then six months later, another mother, a year later, another mother, two years later, another mother. And these little kids, I guess in the spirit, could see something we can't see. Do you know that there are angels in here? Hebrews 1 says that angels are ministering spirits sent to render aid to God's elect. There are angels in this place. And, and not only that, God is here. 
If our eyes could be opened, we would never feel, feel fear again. But we have the choice to have spiritual eyes, that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Even though I can't see him, I set the Lord always before me, therefore I will not be moved. The devil wants to overwhelm us with negative circumstances, so we'll run the other way. But we can choose by faith to set God before us. I want you to change your mind about fear. I want you to stop accepting it as a part of you or a normal part of life. It's of the devil to attack us and to keep us from God's promised land. But our Savior is able to lead us into that promised land as we put our eyes on him. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.